Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Are you well this morning? Great. It's so good to be with you in such a diverse city and it's such a diverse church. It's been an absolute joy. It's my first time I've ever been to a church in Dubai. And uh, we've been here a few times for different hub conferences and different meetings, but I've so been looking forward to visit one of the churches. So this is fantastic. Pussy, Emily, thanks so much for the invite today. Got to meet some of the leaders on Wednesday evening, and we had such a good time together as well. I just want to say, I could have worshipped for two hours and then gone home and had lunch quite easily. Wasn't it amazing this morning? Just the presence of God. What a privilege we have to experience the manifold presence of God, His glory. If, you, if you're born again here this morning, you know Jesus as your Savior. That's our great privilege. Not that we have a, a different body of teaching or a different, um, a different set of rules we live by, but that we have a relationship with the living God and we can, expect, we can expect to know His presence on a daily basis in our lives. So I just absolutely love this morning. Thank you. Santosh, for you and the team who led us into the presence of God like that. It was amazing. Cool. So let me introduce myself um, quickly. As, as you've heard, my name is Paul. I'm from South Africa, born, bred in South Africa. I'm married to an amazing woman. Her name is Shannon. Um, we grew up in, in a small town together uh, from farming people. I come from a rural area. Uh, we got married 16 years ago now. And uh, we have five children. Uh, absolute joy, uh, two adopted uh, children and three biological. And my oldest adopted daughter is now in her 20s and she's married and she has two grandchildren, uh, two children. So I'm a grandfather, <laughs> which if you come from Africa, you will know gives you serious street cred. <laughs> Let me tell you, when I go somewhere, because I have the privilege of traveling across our beautiful continent and Whenever I introduce myself and people hear that I'm Tatunkulu or Tatumuhulu, a grandfather, uh, my, my credibility goes way up. I just need a bit more gray hair or no hair like my friend Gary, and uh, I think I'll be more effective in what I do. But uh, we, absolute joy. Shannon's at home with our, with our four children at the moment. We have been involved with church planting for the last 10 years or so. Um, First in our little hometown of Harding, God got a hold of us and asked us, told us to plant a church there, and we saw God do some amazing things. Uh, South Africa, for those of you who know anything about my nation, is a very divided nation. I'm sure there's some Saffirs here as well, I'm hoping. Kind of one, there we go. <laughs> and um, we're such a divided nation, uh, along race, uh, along culture, uh, along economic lines, and, and uh, God called us in our little rural town to plant a multicultural church, which everyone said was impossible. But when God tells you to do something, folks, I just want to let you know, you don't have to worry, because He's going to do it. And we saw an incredible church get planted, uh, where rich and poor were together, farmers, farm laborers together in church on a Sunday morning. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but a testimony to the amazing gospel of Jesus. And it started our journey, I suppose. Soon after that, we got involved with planting other churches. We moved to a very rural setting. Um, I speak a few South African languages, and so we're able to get into a very rural setting and plant a, a Kosa-speaking church. I wish there were some Kosas here today. Can you? Mama, move up. Hi, bo. Oh, yeah, the same at Twalen. Gear con is a matualen, Sivulibando con. 
<laughs> so, um, so it's a hallelujah. Ah, now I feel at home. So, so we um, had the absolute privilege of getting involved with some incredible men and women who God added to us. And over the last ten years or so, I've built up now a family of churches. We joined Regions Beyond just three years ago, three and a half years ago. God connected us into Regions Beyond, and it's been an absolute joy for us. But now we serve a number of churches in about seven or eight countries in Southern and East Africa, which is just a privilege. Um, a few months ago, we moved to a new town uh, from, where we, from our hometown and to plant a new church. God called us to, to move to, uh, to a, more rural, a more urban setting, which is new for me, and uh, plant a church, and so we're about to start in a few weeks' time with our first Sunday gathering of our core team. I'm very excited about it. He's promised us it's going to be a well for the nations, and uh, so we're very, very excited about that. So that's a little bit about ourselves. It's been a joy this week to spend a bit more time with Fusi. We've known each other for years, uh, many years ago, and then reconnected when we joined Regions Beyond, and I have loved hearing the stories of what this church is doing in the nations. I really have. Particularly this week, I think I heard a little bit more of what you're doing, and it's just an absolute joy. I just want to say, well done. You're an amazing church. Uh, from, from what the works you are doing, it shows me you understand the grace of God and what God has done in your life. So congratulations. Well done. And all the mission you're doing and loving your city, but loving the nations. The scripture I want to share with you this morning, and I better get there quick, is very important. It's something I've been living with the last while, and I feel it's particularly applicable for yourselves as it is for me. So I'm going to preach, but I'm also speaking to myself this morning because churches like ours that are involved in a lot of mission, a lot of activity, have an inherent danger in them. There's an inherent danger that comes with a lot of activity in the kingdom of God. And I want to just have a look at that this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, can we go to Revelation chapter 2? It's not a book I've preached much out of, if I'm honest, because <laughs> it makes me nervous sometimes. I don't understand everything in there. God spoke to me recently, though, through this passage. Revelation 2, verse 1 to 7. It's... It, it's something you know. I'm sure you know the scripture. You've heard it misquoted many times, I'm sure. But it's, it's, it's this letter that, that Jesus has asked John, has told John, to send to the church in Ephesus. So these seven letters, the seven churches in modern-day Turkey. Um, and this is the first one, is to, to Ephesus. And, I, and so I've just gone, I want to go back before I get to the scripture. What do we know of Ephesus and what do we know of Ephesian, the, the Ephesian church? Because it's quite important. So first of all, we, we, we see a few accounts in scripture about about this church. And in Acts chapter 18, uh, we see the Ephesians for the first time. And then Paul arrives in Acts chapter 19, and he says to them, he preaches, he meets, he says, what baptism did you receive when you, when you believed? And then he prays for them, and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul then spends between two and three years in Ephesus. It's the longest he spent anywhere other than in jail. Once he got saved. So it was probably the largest theolog theological download Paul ever gained. Gave. He started meeting in the synagogue with the Jews. He got kicked out, as normally happened. He ended up in this hall of Tyrannus where he says he taught daily the church. And all over southern Turkey, people would come through because Ephesus was a, was a large, important, prominent city. It was on a trade route. It was on a Roman mail route. So many people passed through and news traveled in and out of Ephesus on a daily basis. Paul was strategically placed there to preach the gospel. And what happened is from that one city, the gospel went into that whole area around there. And many other churches 
we see from church history were planted. Sounds familiar, hey? Like Dubai. And, and, um, the, and the gospel went from Ephesus into all these, these different areas. And then in, in Acts 20, we see an interesting little twist. Paul goes away. And uh, on another journey, and then he comes back, he's heading back to Jerusalem, and he says to the Ephesians elders, come down, I want to meet you at the beach at Miletus, I want to talk to you. And he, he, he speaks then, there was a great love Paul had for these people, the apostle for the church he had planted, and he, and he encourages them, and he says, this is the last time you're going to see me, and they weep, and we know this passage. But he says something interesting, he says, be careful, because once I'm gone, fierce wolves are going to come amongst you with false doctrine, false teaching, and he warns them. Off he goes. That was about 80, 50-something. We don't hear about the Ephesians for another eight years when Paul is writing to Timothy, his young protege, and he's encouraging Timothy to stay in Ephesus because why there's some problems have come in at Ephesus. What Paul had said about these fierce wolves took place. And in, and, and in this book, which is a couple years later, he, he, he says to them, be careful. He says, this is uh, Remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines. So what had happened, some of the leaders, some of the influential people in the church had gone off track a bit with some different doctrine. Timothy was there to straighten that out. We also see the, the book of Ephesians, obviously, that Paul wrote to, to the church in Ephesus. He commends them for one thing, and this is important, two things. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, he then writes Ephesians and he says, I'm praying for you. So we see two things. We see there was, there was a doctrinal issue in this Ephesian church where it was constantly, there was pressure to move from true doctrine. But Paul also commends them early on for the great love that they had. Now you might say, is that love for God or love for people? The answer, you can't separate those two things. Because if you love God, you prove it through loving people. Is that not true? And we know as believers, we cannot truly love people. And yes, we have the love of God in us. So he's saying both things. Here, that's quiet. For 30 years, we don't hear anything about the Ephesian church. 30 years, a full generation later. Sometimes it's helpful to know the chronology of the Bible, isn't it? So 30 years later, we hear again Revelation chapter 2. Let me read. So if you remember, John, who wrote this, had been banished to the island of Patmos, a small little island in the Aegean Sea, where he was not sitting on the beach. He was working in mines, probably, it seems, as forced labor. He was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. But God gives us some incredible, incredible revelation, and we, we know that. But this is what he says, and I must be quick. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. This is Jesus speaking. The words of whom who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches, these seven churches. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you've found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There are certain things, folks, Jesus hates. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, when you come to a scripture like this, as preachers, you've got to work really hard to make sure this doesn't become a, a sermon of how you should live your life or what you're doing wrong. Listen, folks, I know very little about this church. I'm convinced you're doing some things wrong, but I don't know what they are. I get to see all that you're doing right, and that's a joy to me. So this is not a heavy thing, but I think there's a lesson in here for you today and for all of us. So these three things, because all pastors and preachers do things in threes, and even today, these three things I want to talk about all start with the same letter. Are you impressed, Gary? So, thank you. Got to fake it till you make it, Gary. So the first thing, we see Jesus complimenting the church. Secondly, he criticizes the church. And then thirdly, he commands the church to do something. Can we remember those three? I think we can. First of all, these these compliments. Thankfully, Jesus is gentle with us, and he starts with the positive normally. He compliments this incredible church for the work that they've done. You know, there's a bit of a false theology around the church at the moment in some certain circles. Oh, no, works are not good. You know, we we just receive, we, we hang back, we... We, we, we'll, we'll soak on the couch and just listen to Christian music and we don't want to get involved in dead works. I agree. But we are saved to do good works. We heard that scripture this morning. We are saved for good works. These guys worked hard. He says, he commends their patient endurance. It's easy to work hard for a day or two. But for year after year to endure in your hard work is very hard. They planted multiple churches. This is an apostolic base all over the current uh, Asia, Asia Minor, with um, present-day Turkey. He says they hated evil. They were clear that there were things coming against him to infiltrate in the church, and they hated the evil. They didn't hate people. They hated the evil. And that is so hard sometimes in the church, because often there's a mix, and they did that really well. He says they tested false apostles, because false apostles are not just common in the 21st century. I come from Africa. Every second person is either an apostle or a prophet. Hallelujah, my goodness. See, I've got my closer friend here. So, so um, there was a problem for them, but they tested them against Scripture, against what they had known and been taught. And then the last thing they commended for is that they, they hated the work of the Nicolaitans. So not much is known about the sect, but really they were a group who perverted the grace of God. They came into the church and they started teaching syncretism, really, where you could mix Christianity with some of the local culture. Such a problem in our churches today, in our culture today. And, and they hated that work, and they did really well. Gee, what a church. Wouldn't you love to be a part of that church? I certainly would have. But unfortunately... While they were doing many things well, some other things they were falling down in. And this is what we hear. And this is our story, folks. Every one of us, every church, every individual, we can be doing well somewhere. But other places, we need the grace of God more than ever. And Jesus then criticizes them. Let me say that again. Jesus criticized them for something. Okay? He says this, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. It took time. We're talking 30 years later, 40 years after this church was planted. Folks, we're in this for the long run. You might have just got to this church. You might have just become a member or been here for a few years. But this church has only existed for a couple years. God has a great future for you. 
that, that's multi-generational, that's for decades ahead. What you do now is important for decades, not just for next week or next year. We've got to help us with a long-term view of what we're doing. This church did really well for decades, but after 40 years, something had crept in and they had lost their first love. Now, why was this so serious? Why was it so serious? They had abandoned their first love. They had forgotten the history they had with Jesus, and they stopped doing things. You see, love leads to action. There's no such thing as love unless you do something about it. I love bread. You might like chocolate, but I like any kind of bread, paratha, or anything like that, different uh, uh, steamed bread, jacka, whatever we want to call it. We, I love any kind of bread. And do you know how I know I love bread? Fantosh, I eat it whenever I get a chance. And it's a constant struggle because bread is not good for me. It makes me put on weight and feel, make me feel tired. I know I love bread because I do something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think back to when I first met Shannon, my wife. So, in fact, we'd met, we're at junior school together, so it's, it's, but it's not a, a teenage love story, I promise you. She thought I was a real loser and that she was right. But at the age of about 21, God brought us together. And let me tell you something. I haven't seen her for years. And God did something in our hearts. And there was a love for each other. We, in those first few months, let me tell you something. I was silly. There is nothing as silly as a young man in love. Maybe an old man in love. I'm not sure. But I did silly, silly things. I took every single opportunity to be with her. I was working. I was working for my father on, on our farm. And thank God he's a gracious man because I'd be staying up all night visiting her with her. And I'd get to work the next day. I remember we used to have a cattle farm. I remember working with cows. And cows are big, heavy animals and they can be dangerous. And we're working. We're branding and doing different things. And I was falling asleep because I hadn't slept a wink the night before. Not a wink. I promise you it was all above board. I did nothing ungodly. I can just put it out there. Um, but we stayed up chatting, getting to know each other, because we hadn't seen each other really for years, and just so interested in everything she had to say. Absolutely everything. And we took every moment together. I remember trying falling asleep. Eventually, my father said to me, he said, you just go home and sleep because you have no use here. And um, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? If you've ever fallen in love, you know that feeling. So easy at first, isn't it? Nervous <laughs> giggles. <laughs> I remember once my wife worked as an occupational therapist at a school, and I used, to, I used to work on the farm, and I think I used to see her about three in the afternoon every day, and I'd be like, what can I do today? What can I do today to, to romance her? And I would scheme up all sorts of things. I remember the one time she still reminds me about it because I've never quite hit this height. But I surprised you, and I laid out a, a, a blanket on the beautiful part of, of the farm that I lived on, and I had, um, I had snacks there. I'd gone to town and bought stuff, and it was all set up for her, and she had no idea. She'd had a hard day at work. I picked her up, and I said, I just want to go for a drive. I need to do some work. And we came around the corner, and there was this picnic blanket. Boom. <laughs> Unfortunately, she... She still reminds me of, you don't romance me like you used to. <laughs> and that's the exact problem I want to get to. 
This is how the Ephesians lost their first love, folks. Because at first, when we first saved, Christ gets a hold of our hearts. We are so thankful for what he's done. We are giddy with our love for him. But over time, over time, that just starts to go cold, little by little. Is that not true? And this is what happened to these guys. It's interesting. For Jesus, this was a deal breaker. It's interesting. For Jesus, the fact that they, had, they were still doing good things, they were still doing works, but a deal breaker for them was that in their hearts they had lost their first love. That sense of intimacy with Jesus, that desire for his presence, which we all experienced this morning, by the way, they had lost that. And for Jesus, he said to them, if you don't do that, if you don't change, and this is my third point here, Jesus commands them, Three things. He says, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do what you used to do. I don't think many Christians think this is a deal breaker. Because Jesus says, otherwise I will remove my lampstand from you. I will leave you as a church. Folks, there are many churches spread across the world where Jesus has left. You can go there. There are people. Someone might be on the guitar, maybe an organ. Jesus is not in the house. Because they've lost their first love. And it, it, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Jesus knows what's on the inside. And it's a deal breaker. He says, remember where you came from. Remember what you did at first. Repent. Which means turn around. Pendled. Turn around. I love the word in Tosa because it simply means turn around. Because we, we sometimes think repent means saying sorry. It's not. It's change the way you live. It's, it's change your lifestyle. Change your habits. Change and do what you used to do. And God judges us. He judges our hearts by what we do. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to do the good works that God preordained for us to do from the beginning of time. We have good works to, to walk in. So we're not afraid of hard work. We're not afraid of works. But it's what is in our hearts. For me, the easiest way to, to test how am I doing in this is that how am I living towards others? It's a big test. John says in 1 John, in his letter, to, um, in 1 John, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but let us love in deed and truth. And then he says, anyone who says, I love God, but he hates his brother. He's a liar. For he, does not, he, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Sorry. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's challenging, isn't it? I remember our first time we planted a church. I mustn't tell you too many stories. Nine, nine years ago, we planted. Let me tell you, we were so alive for God. I have the privilege of having a car in South Africa. We don't have reliable public transport. And I had a car. And wherever you drive in South Africa, there are people hitchhiking on the side of the road. And I remember in my heart, I could not drive past anyone hitchhiking without picking them up. And in my nation, that can be dangerous because we're a violent nation. But I simply could not go past. And I used to live 25 kilometers out of town. And every time I, I used to stop and pick them up. And I did it joyfully. And I would talk to them about Jesus. I'd ask them questions and about life. Let me tell you something. It didn't take long. 
when I never did that anymore. And I realized one day I was driving past people and not giving them a lift. That was a sign for me of what was happening. Okay, let's apply this quickly. Let's land. Friends, it is so easy to drift from our love for Jesus. It's a constant struggle in my life. Constantly. I could tell you so many stories of how I've become careless and forgetful for what Christ has done for me and careless with what he has given me. Struggle to do this sometimes. So my question for us this morning then is how? How do we not drift? And if we have drifted, if you're here this morning and you know in your heart as I'm speaking, you've drifted in your heart from your first love. How do we get back? How do we get it back? There's a couple of things I want to talk about quickly. First of all, just practically, there is no substitute for time with Jesus. Okay, You want to get to know someone, you spend time with them. You, you, you want to know that first love again. Just get with Jesus. And I know you guys in the city work so hard, super long hours. But let me tell you something. I've seen so many people up and down the metro playing video games and whatever, on the, on, uh, doing stuff in the metro. You've got, you spend a lot of time on public transport, many of you here. You can spend time with Jesus. Spend whatever time you can in worship, in prayer, reading the scriptures. Secondly, I want to say community. That's why church is so important. This is not a religious gathering. This is a family of God gathering together because they know they need each other. They know God has called them for a purpose. You want to stay in love with Jesus? You become an active part of a local church. Because there are needy people here who you can love and stay fresh with God. And you need, you're needy yourself. And others are going to love you and stay fresh with God. And then finally, I was chatting to Ray last night, and I said to him, Ray, how do you do it? How do you? You've been saved for many, many years. It's clear you're in love with God all the time, it seems. He says, I keep asking the question, what has captured my heart? What captured my heart? Is it, is it sports? Is it my work? Is it my hobby? What, captures, what has captured your heart? And if it's not Jesus, you're in trouble, and you need to cry out to him. But... My advice to all of us today is the same as, as, as John's advice, Jesus' command, three things. Remember, if you want to stay in love with Jesus, you want to keep that first love, remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done for you. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You all know John 3.16, don't you? For God so loved the world. This is my new favorite verse. This is love. Not that we love God. We couldn't love God, folks. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. We lived as enemies of the cross. We lived as enemies of Christ. That's what the Bible says. There's no such thing as, as seekers after Christ. The Bible says we do not seek Christ. We've rejected him and we run away. Christ seeks us out. And he came from heaven. And because God loved us, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I know Fusi knows what that word means. I kind of had to look it up again. You know what it means? I know you probably all know what it means because I'm sure you're well taught in this church. Propitiation. A propitiation is an action to appease someone to regain their favor after doing something wrong. Let me say that again. Propitiation is an action. It's a, 
it's something you do, not something you say or feel. It's something you do to appease someone, to regain their favor after doing something wrong. I do stuff wrong all the time. So I spend a lot of time propitiating. So a few months ago, I had to travel, and I got my dates wrong, and I was out the country, and it was my daughter's first ballet concert the same weekend I was in Tanzania. My mistake, I booked my, my flights after the dates for the, 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 the ballet concert. She was heartbroken. She's 12 years old. She was heartbroken. Dad is going away and not coming. Our, Shannon wasn't very happy, let me tell you, either. And so you know what I did? The dot before I left, I took her on a date. We went out on a date to the best little restaurant in our, in our town. I dressed smart, which doesn't happen often. I put a jacket on. I got her dressed up all smart, and off we went for an evening together having pizza. Do you know what? That action appeased her. I said, I'm so sorry that I'm not going to be there. I've made a mistake. Please forgive me. And then I spent the rest of the evening just blessing her and commending her for the incredible woman she's becoming. And do you know what? When I left, she was happy for release me. It was an action that made right something I'd done wrong. We get propitiation this morning. Folks, you're now in a far more serious position than that. We, we, listen, before you got saved, you hadn't just made some mistakes. You hadn't just committed a few sins that got you to the naughty corner with God. We were living in rebellion against the only true and living God. We lived as his enemy. We hated him. There was nothing we could do to make ourselves right with God. There was nothing in us that was worthy of God. There was no appeasement. There was no propitiation we could muster up to try and make right with God. It was impossible. It could not be done. And yet through the scriptures we see what God did for us. He knew our state. He created us. He knew how wicked and evil we were and are without him. And he said, ah, will make a propitiation on your behalf. And he sent Jesus. And Jesus willingly, willingly went to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. An action to make right with the Father. Folks, I'm reminding you of your first love. You remember when you were first saved? Do you remember? Maybe it was recently. Maybe it was many years ago. You remember when you were first saved. I, I remember the first time I ever understood this. I got saved as a child. I grew up in a so-called Christian home. Lots of Bible stories and that kind of thing. And my mom and dad were saved. And uh, at some point I got saved. But at the age of 21, I, my life was an absolute wreck. I, I, I was an alcoholic. I was depressed. I was suicidal. And I was drunk one night in a bar. And God counted me that night. I was talking to a girl who's turned out to be my wife. I knew she was a Christian, and I was telling her all the good things I'd done. I was drunk, had a beer in my hand, and I said to her, Yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. Because truly I was saved. I was so far from God. And do you know what God said to me? Who do you think you are? You're drunk, you're talking to this girl, and now you're talking about me. And let me tell you something, folks. Have you ever known the fear of God? 
the fear of God went through me, and I ran out of this restaurant, Pope. I ran out. And I woke up the next morning with the last hangover I've ever had. God set me free from alcohol addiction. Through the years, he set me free from mental health issues, from, from depression. But let me tell you something. I knew that next morning I was loved, and you could not hold me back. You could not. My folks were a bit wary. They were a bit freaked out. I'd gone from getting drunk four or five times a week to going to Bible study two, three times a week. If I went away for a weekend, I came home Sunday morning, even if it meant driving four hours to our little village church of 12 or 15 people, I would come back to. The next, I was 21. The next youngest person was probably 45. But I came back because Jesus had saved me and I knew that I was free of my sins. It wasn't all this legalism and all this hard work I'd been trying all my life and living under law and then being proud when I did get something right and trying to read my Bible drunk late at night because you got to read your Bible. Jesus set me free. You, I was unstoppable. I stopped playing cricket. I used to play semi-professional cricket because our cricket was all on Sundays. I gladly stopped playing cricket because I wanted to go to church. I, I was going to two, three cell groups in a week. I, I was just... In love with Jesus. I even remember the first New Year's after this happened. It was a few weeks later. This was in December. I wanted to stay up all night and pray through the night because I was on fire. Well, I fell asleep at about 3 o'clock, and I think my prayers were rubbish by then anyway. But, folks, I was in love. And to be honest, I've never felt that way before for an extended period of time. I felt like that in worship this morning, I might say. So in love with Jesus. Folks, remember where you've come from. And if you need to, repent today of where you are. He's so gracious. You know that. I repented Monday afternoon. I got to our hotel room. We were here on Monday. I had the whole day to spend with Jesus because we only started in the evening. And I didn't spend any time with Jesus. I was doing other things. I was just filling my mind. I went to the gym. I did all sorts of things. And the whole time, I was just crying. I was missing Jesus. By the end of the evening, I felt terrible. I just cried out to Jesus in my hotel room. I said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Please help me. Get a hold of my heart. He is so gracious, folks. He did exactly that. As I repented, I got out the word and I started to read. I didn't want to read the Bible, but I read and God came. I do the things we do at first. Folks, remember where you've come from. Repent if you need to. and Do the things you used to do. Works of love. Let me end. City Hill, why am I telling you this today? The reason is this, is that God has incredible plans for this group of people. Incredible plans for you as a church. I spent the week praying for you, just trying to, because I've never been here before. So I said, Lord, who are these people? I've seen some of their exploits, but who are they? Who's going to be there? What, what are you doing amongst them? And I've prayed, and I've prayed for you, and I've become convinced and even as I say this, I feel the presence of God here. God has got incredible exploits for you as a, as a group. Beyond, I, I know you're led by a visionary and a great team. And you might sometimes you probably think, oh, we're going east, we're going west, we're going south into, into Africa. But let me tell you, you haven't seen, you haven't heard all that God has for you yet. I'm convinced of this. In fact, this morning, earlier I was praying for you, and I saw a picture. And I mean, you've got a great name, City Hill. I said he said on a hill. But I saw this picture of, at first I thought it was oil coming down from heaven on you. And so immediately I started thinking, oh, oil of blessing of the Lord. Or, and, and I felt the picture change. And God said, no, it's not oil, it's ink. 
And I was like, ink? And this came down on this hill, and it flowed from you because God is lifting you up. And it's going to flow from you into the nations. And it was ink, and it went east, and it went, and it went west, and it came south. And, and I was like, Lord, why ink? And the reason was because the ink dried, and the ink stayed there permanently. Water, once water flows, you never see the effect after five minutes or ten minutes. If you spilled ink all over your carpet here, it would stay there, wouldn't it? God is about a permanent work through this church, folks, that will last decades and decades. I want you to hear that this morning. This is not flash in the pan what God is doing with you. This is not something quick with lots of excitement and buzz. This is a serious work of God, and there's a mark of permanence about what you are doing. But you are so early in on your adventure, Fussy. I mean, God's doing great things, but guys, you're just starting. You're right, right at the beginning. And my encouragement to you today is, listen, just relax and enjoy the adventure because God will fulfill his purposes for this church. I love the words of David in Psalm 138. He says, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. God will do it. It's his work. It's his church. It's his kingdom. These are his nations. This is his city. You can rest assured it's a done deal what God has called you to do. However, my challenge to you is one thing. Fight for love. Fight for love. Because if you don't, you'll grow careless and forgetful with what God has given you. Fight for love. Fight for it. Endure in works of love. This is going to be your battle amidst the challenges and all the victories ahead is keeping love because you are active in all that you're doing and we praise God for that. And ending, last thing. I want to say again, thank you for all you have done, all you are doing in the nation's you are an inspiration to the rest of your family, of the regions beyond family. You really are an inspiration to us. I want to say thank you to the, the leadership team for releasing Fusi. God has blessed you in this church with an apostolic man with a massive vision, and he can't do it on his own. He knows that. But you, as you release Fusi to go, and as you go with Fusi, to different nations and have different ones of you go and lead into different nations, it, it has a cost here, doesn't it? I want to say thank you for doing that. Thank you for paying a price. Thank you for your generosity in giving towards the nations. Thank you for being willing to move. And I know people have moving from here to other nations to go and plant churches and spread the gospel. I want to say thank you. You are an inspiration. We thank God for you very, very much. Well done. In all you're doing, keep going strong. Can I pray for you? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you afresh, Lord, for this incredible group of people. Lord, for all you've given them, for all they're doing, all they've done, and all they're going to do. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory, Lord. Just, a, just an, an outpost of heaven in this great city to touch the nations of the world. We say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you bless them, Lord? Amen. Would you bless them far beyond, Lord, they could ever hope or imagine, Lord? 
Would you raise them up as this city on a hill, a city on many hills, for your glory we pray. And Lord, I pray you keep them. Keep them from false doctrine, Lord. Keep them from false emphases, Lord. Keep them from being too busy. Keep them from losing their first love, I pray. Lord, that what they will be known for is not just what they've done, that they, that they love their Father in heaven and that they never lose their first love. May this be an adventure. May this be a journey of joy and delight for this church, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Paul, thank you so much for serving us so well. Not only did I feel encouraged as you were speaking, but I felt really challenged to come closer to God again, to be drawn back to God again. It's ever so good to have someone come from outside though part of us and come and really look into all that we are doing, speak into all that we are doing. City Hill, let's receive this. Let's receive what God is saying to us today. And I, can I just call you, Gary, to come and just pray for us? Is that okay? Just pray for us as a church of the back of what Paul has been saying, that really our love for one another, our love for Jesus will grow and grow. For those of us maybe who have become lukewarm. God will restore our hearts and we'll all be together and really doing great exploits of faith in God together. Father, once we were dead, but out of your great mercy, you made us alive in Christ Jesus. You made us alive, Lord. None of us made ourselves alive. None of us had the good sense to work out who Jesus was. None of us had the good sense to see how miserable sinners that we were. You made us alive. And Lord, we stand before you again saying thank you for grace and mercy that's been poured upon us. Thank you for the expectation of grace and mercy that will be poured upon us this day and into the future. You are such an amazing, gracious God. And we thank you. And Lord, we say we, we need you to help us. Lord. Just like Paul last Monday, we need you to help us, Lord. We're going to get taken up with busyness, with families, with jobs, with all kinds of things, with worldly worries, things we need to worry about, things we don't need to worry about. And Lord, we say we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We want the freshness again of that day we first got saved that we want maturity. We don't want to remain as children, Lord. We want to be mature. But Lord, we want our dancing to be mature. We want our joy to be mature, Lord. We want our singing to be mature. And so we say, Holy Spirit, come upon us. Even as we sing right now, Holy Spirit, won't you come upon us? Come upon us. Come and stir us. Come and stir our feet, Lord. We're dancing people. Come and help our tongues, Lord. We want to be a singing people. We want to be a shouting people for all that you've done. We say, please do it. I want to encourage you. Just, just stand here. These guys are just playing some chords. I want us to begin to sing. Just begin to sing. Just your, native, your own language, English, tongues, whatever it is. Let's just begin to sing. Let's begin to sing of this 
this great love that has come upon us. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.